Welcome to podcast number 167 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is June the 28th, 2022, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Today's guest is Edith Maxwell. Edith was first recognized for her fiction writing at the age of 11. She won the Pasadena Star News Contest for her short story, Viking Girl, and walked away with the prize money of $2. Many years later, in 2013, she left high-tech industry to write mystery fiction full-time and is now living her dream. Edith is a lifetime member of Sisters in Crime and is a member of the Mystery Writers of America. She's also a longtime member of the Society of Friends, Quakers, and past clerk of the Amesbury Friends Meeting. Her art story was featured in the National Endowment for the Arts 50th Anniversary Celebration. Edith blogs with five other New England mystery authors at wickedauthors.com, and they are also featured in the Boston Globe. She also blogs at Mystery Lover's Kitchen on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. It is my pleasure to bring Edith Maxwell on the show. Welcome to my favorite detective stories. I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Come sit by my campfire as we listen to crime fiction writers talking about their flawed fictional detectives. I will alternate weekly between award-winning and best-selling authors with debut authors who have overcome all the obstacles to get their first novel out into the world. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free. Hi, Edith. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, You're quite welcome. I really appreciate that. And how's the weather there in Amesbury, Massachusetts, as we speak today? It's clear and sunny and cold and breezy. Clear and sunny, cold and breezy. And down here in Milford, Connecticut, as we record this, March the 3rd, 2022, I can say it's the same because I've taken my dog out for a walk this morning and it was clear and sunny and cold and breezy. So I know that feeling. So this is going to air on June 28th. So all this talk about the New England winter will be just a far distant thought when we get to the longest days of the summertime. So, yeah. That's great. We'll be eating fresh strawberries here. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Right? So, Edith, tell me, how did you get into writing? And tell me about your writing journey. I'd be delighted to. I wrote all the time as a child. I wrote stories. I wrote little poems. In fact, I grew up in Southern California, and I entered, uh, while I was in elementary school, I entered a contest, a children's fiction contest in the Pasadena Star News, and my story The Viking Girl won a prize, and they paid me $2. So that was my first paid fiction. Wow. Yeah, it was very exciting. I still have the actual newspaper clipping of it. It wasn't crime fiction, but it was an adventure story (laughs) with a female protagonist. So That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then I 
kind of fell away from fiction for the next 30 or 40 years. Mm. <laughs> but I wrote journalism. I got a doctorate and did a lot of academic writing. I wrote freelance essays and things. And then for 20 years, I was uh, more than 20 years, I was a software technical writer. So I wrote the software manuals about how to use the software. And at the end of that time, I was starting to write crime fiction. I was laid off a job in 2008, a high-tech job, as half of high-tech was laid off in the fall of 2008. And I thought, well, I have all this time. I can't look for a job eight hours a day, you know, once you get your resume organized and you, you wake up in the morning and you see if there's any new jobs to apply for. So the first thing I did was write a short story of murderous revenge after layoff called Reduction in Force. And that, was, <laughs> that was published in the Level Best Books anthology, Best New England Crime Fiction, the next year. Okay. And then I thought, I had started a murder mystery 15 years earlier that I hadn't finished. I thought, well, maybe I should get back to that book. I have all this time right now. And I looked at the manuscript and I realized how much work it would need. So I started a different book. And then I got a job, but it was only four days a week, a mm -hmm. job. So I had writing Fridays. Nice. Um, so I, I devoted to my fiction. So that book, Speaking of Murder, came out 10 years ago in September. It came out in September 2012, two months before I turned 60. Okay. Never too late. And while I was trying to find a small publisher, small press publisher for that, I found an agent backwards. He came looking for writers, hmm. a New York agent, and we developed a proposal for a cozy mystery set on an organic farm, which we sold to Kensington Publishing. So my second book was the first local foods mystery, A Time to Live, A Time to Die, Time Like Forks. And the murder weapon is a pitchfork. Mm -hmm. Not much of a spoiler. It happens in the first chapter. With Kensington Publishing. So... Then I was off and running, you know, mm. writing. I kept my full-time job for another couple of years, but I've been writing full-time now for, I think, eight years. Nice. Um, now, going back to those Friday write-ins, mm. I can tell you about an experience. Uh, you know, I try to get up every day at the same time, thanks to an alarm. And most days that works. But I can tell you on the days that I plan to write, I'm up before that alarm. I don't know about you. What about you? Is it, are the days that you know you're you're going to be dedicated to writing, are those the days that you bounce out of bed and you're ready to go? I pretty much always bounce out of bed ready to go. Oh, okay. It's my nature. And okay. I'm, a more, I'm a real morning person. And I write every day but Sunday. Okay. And occasionally Sunday. Okay. I try to take a day of rest. Mm, I understand that. Yeah, to refill and just get away from it. But I'm always, always awake by six and usually earlier. And, and I need about an hour with my coffee to check out the internet, check blogs, answer emails, just see what's going on in the world. Okay. But I'm always, I'm always working by seven in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Fanny in the seat, key, hands on the keyboard, ready to rock. Yeah. Pretty much, except that I stand to write for the last oh. couple of years. So I've got feet on the cushioned pad I'm under me. Okay. Hands on the keyboard. Exactly. That's smart. Much better for you. People are saying that sitting is the new smoking. And uh, I don't disagree with that thinking at all. 
you know? It just wasn't working out for my body. And I move around a lot more. I walk little circuits in my office, my second floor office, and think and talk out loud to myself. And yeah. So go back to your debut now. Tell me a little bit about that and then move me through the books and move me through the time frames. Oh, and one other thing I was going to ask you, Kensington, um, they're wholly owned or are they an imprint of someone? I forget. I apologize. No, they're wholly owned. They're like the last family owned um, publishing house. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, And they they specialize in what genre again? Just help me. Well, they've been doing a lot of cozies. We and my, some of my friends were some of the first cozy authors, but they did a lot of romance, but they've been doing crime fiction for a long time. Besides crime fiction and romance, I am not sure what else they publish. Okay. I'm too busy to pay attention to that. No, I understand. And I just recognized the name and I just couldn't, you know, I should know better, but they have a special place in today's publishing world. So they do. They're great. They're a great publishing home. Yeah, so I have two ongoing series with them now, and I uh, plus the local foods mysteries. So that first book, you know, I have this long, dusty doctorate in linguistics, mm-hmm. and I've been a Quaker for many, many years. That's right. Yeah, so I made up a Quaker linguistics professor, contemporary, who lives in a town on the coast, like the one I was living in at the time. And there's a murder on campus that she gets involved in solving, and that's speaking of murder. That came out with a micropress. Sales were never spectacular. I got some wonderful cover blurbs from people like Julia Spencer Fleming and Hank Philby Ryan. Nice. Very kind to read my debut novel and be positive about it. But then I, you know, I got this contract for the local foods mysteries. So after I quit my day job, I wrote one more in the Lauren Rousseau mysteries. Those two books, those first two books came out as under the pen name Tace Baker. Last year, we reissued them with Beyond the Page Publishing as Edith Maxwell books. And they have, they got a fresh edit and fabulous new covers. And those are selling okay. by bit. So that's, that's nice. So I wrote five books in the local foods mystery set on an organic farm. When my children were babies, and they're both in their 30s now, mm. I had a small organic farm and I was teaching childbirth education classes. So I knew I knew that organic farming world. By the time I was writing them, my younger son had become a farmer. <laughs> so I could get updates on the field, you know, on the actual <laughs> field from him. And I had never had chickens. And, you know, he was working on a farm that had chickens. So that was nice. Kensington ended that one after book five. Before they did, I submitted a proposal for a new series set in a country store breakfast and lunch restaurant in southern Indiana, which was near where I made up a fictional town called South Lick. South Lick? South Lick. Yes. Yeah, like French Lick. Uh, yep, like, except uh, South Lick. Yeah. yeah, further north in Brown County. Okay. Um, I found, uh, I was looking for, a, I was trying to come up with a name for my fictional town, and I found South Lick Creek and South Lick Road in the area of the county where I wanted to set it. And I went, that's a perfect name for a cozy mm. mystery fictional town. Yeah. How far away from uh, New Albany? I don't know exactly where New Albany is. It's I've said it about five, I think five miles from Nashville, Indiana. Okay. And it's about, I don't know, 20 miles or something. It's east of Bloomington. Oh, okay. In, 
which yeah. is where I lived when I got my doctorate at Indiana University. Gotcha. The reason I said that is that uh, I had I spent a wonderful uh, week as an investigator a long time ago. I, I got picked up by the guy that I was working with at the at O'Hara Airport, yeah. and we basically worked our way through. Albany on this case that we were working on. And then we dipped into uh, Kentucky. Uh-huh. And then I got my first taste of Ap- Kentucky Appalachia. And that was an eye opener for mostly a suburban, you know, Northeast guy. And, but some of the work that I had to do was in the lovely town of New Albany. So that's why I asked. Awesome. But yeah. anyway, so anyway, but you, you're set in South Lick, Indiana. Yeah. And it's a, uh- Wonderful little town. Uh, Robbie Jordan is a transplanted Californian. I happen to be a fourth generation Californian, even though I've now lived in New England for 40 years. I put her a little further north. She's from Santa Barbara, but she had her mother grew up in South Lake and her aunt Adele lives there. And the series opens with Flipped for Murder um, just after about a year after Robbie's mother has died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. and. She inherited some money, and her Aunt Adele helped her find this general store that was for sale. So Robbie renovated it and opened this restaurant. Um, She had been working as a chef. And I just, I love writing this series. Book 10, Batter Off Dead, Batter Off Dead, Mm -hmm. just came out. Just came out last week. Well, it came out February 22nd. Mm -hmm. And I'm under contract through book book 13, which is delightful. There's a, a core group that she's got her couple of chef assistants, cook assistants in this restaurant. She's got um, her Aunt Adele. She's got that flamboyant mayor who's the mother of her of Robbie's, uh, one of her assistants. Police Lieutenant Buck Bird is a real character. And he, he and Aunt Adele use some colorful not racy colorful, but colorful southernish phrases like Buck will say, well, that went faster than green grass through a goose. Um, <laughs> and I might I might exaggerate it a little bit uh, like, but, you know, southern Indiana, as you know, is pretty close to Kentucky. Oh, it's I know really, it is. Yeah, it's more Kentucky than Indiana in a way. So yes. I, I kind of pump that a little bit and fans. Love it. Like, this is my post, most popular series. And this also is with Kensington. This is with Kensington. When my editor offered me the contract, he said he would like to publish it, but uh, he wanted me to use a pen name. So I came up with the name Maddie Day. So I write yeah. that series as Maddie Day. And then my agent and I proposed another series. I guess it was when the local foods ended. And so the Cozy Capers book group mysteries, also written as Maddie Day, take place on Cape Cod. Okay. Um, in another fictional town called West Ham. And Mackenzie Almeida is a, she owns a bike shop, repair, rental, and retail. And if you've ever been on the Cape, there's lots of flat, you know, former rail trails that are biking and walking trails. Mm-hmm. So people, tourists love to come and rent bikes. Her whole family lives in the town. The series starts with murder on Cape Cod, and she's living in her tiny house, you know, one of those tiny houses, mm-hmm. behind, behind her bike shop. And she's a member of this book group that only reads cozy mysteries. <laughs> the Cozy Capers book yeah. group. Yeah. So that's like a triple entendre somehow. And they help her solve the crimes. That's fantastic. That is great. 
it's really fun mm-hmm. setting those up. She's allergic to mammals, so pets. So she has an African gray parrot named Belle. And Belle is a like a hoot. She helps call the police when the bad person comes into to Mac's house in book two, murder at the taffy shop. Okay. And everybody loves Belle as a character. You're having so much fun with your cozies and you understand the value of a title that is within the genre, obviously. And when I had a chance to go to your website, I guess it's edithmaxwell.com. Mm-hmm. I got to see some of the covers and your cover artists are spot on for what you're trying to accomplish in terms of that thumbnail that people look at if they're going to decide on a book or not. Yep. And when you combine that cover very colorful, very illustration, I guess. Do they call that a vector? I'm not sure, but it's it's definitely not a photograph. It's certainly not a graphic art. It, and I'm not going to go and say it's cartoonish, but yeah. it's, it's that area that you immediately understand, okay, this is what the read is going to be. And then you combine that with your titles. And go ahead, just, just run through the titles again, because and slowly, so we can all enjoy each one. And uh, just tell me about all your titles, because they're so spot on for what you're trying to accomplish with your genre. Thank you. I will say I love the Kensington covers. And the ones they do for the country store mysteries are different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, know I saw that. The cozy capers, but they're consistent and they're, they're fabulous. So the country store mysteries have been flipped for murder, grilled for murder. I might get a few out of order. When the grits hit the fan. Biscuits and Slashed Browns. Uh-huh. What's next? Strangled Eggs and Ham. Death Over Easy. Nacho Average Murder. That's when, <laughs> that's when she goes back to California for her 10th high school reunion. She goes back to Santa Barbara. So it's all California, Mexican-influenced foods mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. names. She stays in the Nacho Average Bread and Breakfast. It's above a cafe. And so... Let's see, what's the next one? Maybe Candy Slain Murder. That's a Christmas book. No Greater Crime. Greater spelled like grating cheese? Yep. Yep, of course. Of course. And then uh, Batter Off Dead. I like that. I think I might have missed one in there, one of the earlier ones. But the book that will be out next March is Four Leaf Cleaver. Mm. Yes, it's a St. Patrick's Day theme. Okay. The Cozy Capers books are Murder on Cape Cod. Murder at the Taffy Shop, Murder at the Lobster Shack. Mm-hmm. Book four will be out in September, Murder in a Cape Cottage. So those are just murder. They're not pun titles like many could. No, I got that. But, you know, Murder yeah, at yeah. the Lobster Shack, that, yeah. you know, I could, yeah. just, I could just hear like Ben Affleck or uh, his brother Casey or, or Matt Damon saying that, you know, with a Dunkin' Donuts coffee in their hand. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah, definitely. So nice combination of titles and artwork. Honestly, very, very uh, right spot on. Thank you. So I also, in my history there, what I left out is when my partner and I moved from Ipswich on the coast where we lived to here to Amesbury 10 years ago. And Amesbury is where I've belonged to the Quaker meeting for 33 years. Okay. And and I was walking. Now I can walk to church, you know, Wow! <laughs> not have to drive. It's great. It's about a 15-minute walk, which I love because, of course, traditionally, Quakers would have been all walking or taking their carriage. Mm-hmm. And I had read a, a newspaper article about the Great Fire of 1888. And in 1888, Amesbury was world famous for its carriages. 
They literally shipped them all over the world. They were beautiful, graceful, strong, functional, horse-drawn vehicles. And there was the Great Fire burned down almost all the carriage factories. Oh, my. Yeah. A story spun in my head as I was walking to Quaker Meeting the next day after I read this article about a Quaker mill girl who solved the mystery of the arson. No kidding. And historically, it wasn't arson, but, you know, I write fiction. I, I can uh, twist it just a of little. Of course. And so that was published in the next year's anthology of Best New England Crime Stories. And the characters, the setting didn't want to go away. I'm now living in Amesbury. I can walk through all these historic streets. So I wrote the first book up, uh, but I created the Mill Girl's Aunt Rose Carroll, who's an independent midwife, who mm. delivers babies at home and is an outsider. You know, Quakers are always outsiders, but she also didn't grow up in Amesbury. Which is very Yankee. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So she, there were the seventh book in that series, A Changing Light, came out last April. And the first and five books in the series have been nominated for an Agatha Award for Best Historical Mystery, Best Historical Novel. Um, who's the, what's the entity that nominates the Agatha? Just educate me on that. It's the Malice Domestic Conference, which occurs every year. It's a fan convention that happens in Bethesda every year at the end of April, start of May. And everyone who is registered for the conference by January 1st can nominate books. And the top five books in each category are the nominees. And then the people at the convention vote during the convention. Wow. And two years ago, of course, first pandemic year, Charity's Burden, book four, won the Agatha Award for Best Historical Novel. Congratulations. Thank you. It was such a thrill. And it was, right, lockdown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was home in my kitchen watching on my laptop. Mm. And it was such a letdown. Like at the conference, you go up, you give a thank you speech, everybody mobs you in the bar, everybody takes pictures. So... I'll be going in person. This is the first year that I have it in person again. Right. At the end of April. And I'll get to pick up my teapot. So nice. when you win, you win a teapot. But five books, five out of the seven books were nominated for Best Historical. And that's just a huge, huge honor. It's oh, like yeah. Nominated for an Oscar, you know. Absolutely. No, and, and that's why I asked, because I wanted to know. I mean, I hear about the Anthony, I hear about the Edgar, I hear about the Agatha. So anytime I hear one of my authors be nominated or win one, I just yeah. ask because, well, yeah. you would know, <laughs> you know, you would know, you know, who generates the Agatha. So that's, that's so nice. I've also had three short stories nominated for an Agatha. I haven't won yet. But. Nice. So I write, I write several short stories a year too. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, love, I love writing short. That's so cool. And we need to just move a little bit towards the Wicked Authors blog. I think that is yeah. that with, with Jewel. Julia Henry. So, yeah, t tell me about that because that's how I got to know you from. So, go ahead. Just kind of walk me yeah. through that. We are six authors. We started out, we all lived in New England, and we were all writing cozy mysteries. And we called ourselves the Wicked Cozy Authors because of as you know, mm -hmm. Wicked is a, an intensifier in, in New England speak. Some of us, I branched out into historical. Uh, Jesse Crockett branched out into historical. So we rebranded a few years ago as the Wicked Authors. All four of us have more than one name. We have pen names. So it's Liz McGovero, a.k.a. Kate Conti. 
Sherry Harris, Jesse Crockett, Jessica Estevel, Jessica Ellicott, <laughs> uh, Julie Henricus, a.k.a. Julianne Holmes, a.k.a. Julia Henry, Barbara Ross, and me and Maddie Day. Mm-hmm. And we have a blog. We were there five days a week. We don't post things on the weekends total usually on Wednesdays. We have Wicked Wednesdays. We all chime in on the same topic. We have guests. But besides the blog, we're a really amazing support group. We're always chatting on email behind the scenes. We support each other through successes. We commiserate through not so successful things. We've all had series canceled, almost all of us. And it's a really amazing group. You think of writers, you think we're just sitting alone in our offices. Well, most of the time we are sitting alone in our offices. So we need these support networks. Oh, absolutely. The wickets are hugely important in my life. I think it's nine years in May. And unfortunately, I think many authors, it's a lonely thing. Mm -hmm. And when they get to conferences or uh, workshops, they get to, you know, rub shoulders with other authors and they realize that everybody's doing the same thing. It's, it, they're all, you know, doing, you know, trying to, to put their best stuff out there, trying to get better at their craft. But then they go home and then they're alone again. And seeking out a group such as the one you did or having it uh, form around you and then Putting the energy in to keep it has paid off so many dividends for you, I guess. That's what you would oh, say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we yeah. we teach each other, you know, what are the best, the best blogs to, to guest post at. We invite each other to bookshop events, bookstore, you know, even if they're virtual. Yeah, it's really, really important networking. I mean, I have other author friends I communicate with, one in Montana, one in LA, you know, okay. different people, but um, one mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, who are sort of close author friends that I can ping if I have a question or a, a complaint or a sob, yeah, you know, know. whatever it is, you know. Yeah. But the Wickets are really my primary group. Although I do also blog at uh, mysteryloverskitchen.com. Yes, tell me about that. Yeah, that's a really great group. There's 12 cozy mystery authors, and we're all sort of foodie authors. We have recipes in our books, and we each post twice a month. So I'm the second and fourth Fridays with an original recipe, sometimes a giveaway. And then on the first Sunday of the month, we have around the kitchen table. So we all, 12 of us, chime in on one topic. Mm. We'll be on there March, yeah, on the, on the first Sunday of the month. And we have guests on the other Sundays, usually. So none of us has to do more than two days a a month. It's a wonderful group. And I have recipes in all my cozies. So I have to keep testing and Mm -hmm. thinking about, oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, I have a book set in July. You know, I I need a recipe. It's a summer kind of a recipe. Crepes or fruit salad or whatever it is. So, yeah, that's that's a really fun group. And uh, you also contributed to Sisters in Crime almost from day one, right? Oh, yes. Well, I I mean, I was a member. I was writing, I think maybe I had one short story out, and I went to the New England Crime Bank in like 2004 or five. Okay. Which is a annual conference that has always been put on between Sisters in Crime New England and Mystery Writers of America New England. And I had never been before. And I went, oh, 
why have I not been coming to this? And why am I not a member of Sisters in Crime? I mean, I met people. I I hung out at their table. And I so I joined on the spot. Mm. And I went to my first meeting the next month at Kate Flora's house in Concord. And I met all these people who are still publishing, if they're alive, unfortunately, one of them. Sheila Connolly announced her, her first two book contracts at that meeting, my first meeting. And she's been hugely prolific. And unfortunately, she passed away. Mm. Um, it'll be two years in April, April or May. Yeah. Former president of the chapter. Anyway, that's a digression, but she okay. always, was always a role model to me because she wrote four series a year. She wrote four books a year. And I went, okay, if Sheila can do it, I can do it. And she rotated between her series so that she wasn't, so she was writing fresh, something fresh each, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So she had a, a wonderful series set in Ireland, which was her love. And she ended up buying herself a cottage and she ended up dying in her cottage as, oh. she, as she wanted to. And her County Cork series is really, really wonderful. So Edith, you were talking about joining the national board. Oh, no, I'm not on the national board, but I am a lifetime member of Sisters in Crime National. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and I've been uh, – they offered that a long time ago, and I thought – I am I mean, several years after I joined Sisters in Crime, and I thought, I have plans to write mysteries the rest of my life. I'm going to join as a lifetime member now. And they have since um, upped the, the cost, but I got in. <laughs> it's all – I never have to think about remembering to pay my dues. That's really nice. Yeah, you you were grandmothered in instead of grandfathered in. You were grandmothered in. So, exactly. Yes. And I'm also a member of Mystery Writers of America. Sure. I just learned for the first time that they are separate from Bauschercon, but yet they somehow have some kind of relationship. I didn't quite understand that. But I'll be out there in Minnesota for – uh, Bauschikon this year, and uh, I'll probably be at uh, Crime Bake again this year. I was there last year, but oh, uh, did, did I meet you? I don't I think so. Again. And the yeah. reason I, I you didn't meet me at, it was Dedham. My editor and I met for the first time, and so Friday night we you know had a nice dinner together, and we talked and just got the bond really, because you know he's been my editor, right? And I, I never met the guy, so here we are. I get called away on Saturday. And I have to return back to New Haven Saturday. I don't get back to the hotel where Crime Bake is until 1030 at night on Saturday. So then, you know, bright and early Sunday morning, I'm back out there again. But things are starting to wind down. So I missed the guts of the meeting because I was there Friday yeah. and right. I had lunch, I guess, with my editor again and some other people that I had met. But I really missed the, the guts of the meeting. And uh, so this year, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm clear, you know, for the whole meeting and I can do that because it's right in my backyard. I mean, it's a, a couple hour drive for me. So, but it was a very well organized meeting. I think they did everything right in terms of following guidelines for vaccinations and masking and what have you. And I felt that I felt safe while I was there. Yeah. They only allowed so many attendees this year, so it wouldn't be overcrowded. And it just made sense. And what a lovely opportunity to go to a conference again after, what, two years almost? You know. Of yeah, right. We were all just like, oh, boy. But I'll tell you, when I walked in that hotel, I had two surgeries during pandemic after I was vaccinated. No, 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 no. The first one was before 
both of them were before I was vaccinated. Anyway, it was hospital settings with masks and very clean and stuff. When I walked in that crime bank hotel, I was kind of like, oh, all these people. <laughs> Everybody was masked and behaving themselves. Right. But it was kind of, I kind of staggered because I hadn't been like hanging around with a group of people at all. I know. I know. You know, I had started seeing a few family members, the ones that are that live close, but it was kind of freaky. And frankly, every time I walked by the bar and I saw where I would normally, I would normally be hanging out and everybody sitting there eating and drinking without their masks on. I went upstairs and Julie and Barb Ross and I hung out in our room. <laughs> like we just, the bar scene was freaking us out. Yeah. And that's why I also won, uh, Friday night, I spent time with my editor and I saw what was at the bar and I just said, no, we're going to go sit somewhere else. And we did. And then, of course, I missed Saturday for mostly. And then when I came back Saturday night, like you said, the bar was, to borrow a phrase from uh, agrarian times, the bar was cheek to jowls. And I just said, no, I don't think so. And and then Sunday uh, lunch or brunch, whatever that was, was much more sane. And I could Mm -hmm. I could deal with that. But, yeah, I mean, we're we're trying to come back to some new sense of normal. And after two years of being very locked down, quarantined, uh, not going out, not being in public spaces, it's hard getting back to it again. And it is. It's very hard. I have plans to go to Bouchacan. Oh, okay. Uh, myself, so I hope to see you there. Mm. And I will be at Malice, but I'm going to drive, so I don't have to fly or take the train. Malice? Uh, Malice Domestic, this conference at the end of April. Oh, okay, the one that gives you the uh, Agatha. So I can pick up my teapot. There you go. <laughs> Two years ago. That That's they, so cool. They said they weren't going to send it. I'm looking forward to that. If you want, do me a favor, get a nice JPEG of that. And and I'll substitute that in there because we're not showing uh, – this podcast is not going off until June. We can make that the uh, your picture. How's that sound? Great. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's Thank so you. wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm happy that uh, we had that little minute or two where we were off the air, but we're, now we're back and, and we're talking again. Is there anything that I failed to ask you, Edith, that you thought would be important for, the, for this episode? Well, I mean, people usually want to know about – my writing process. Please. I'm like more of a right into the headlights, not a plotter, not okay. a plotter, not okay. a plotter. So that's one thing. And it works for me. So why change it? You know, mm-hmm. my editor wants a synopsis of the book before I send it in. And he'd like something very long and detailed and single spaced. And he gets something very vague and double spaced and not very long. But I think by now he knows what he's going to get and not get. And it, he just needs something, and it's partly for their like sales brochures, and they're getting a sense of what the book is. So that's fine. And I plot. I usually plot two or three scenes ahead as I'm writing. Yeah, that way you make sure that the continuity is there, and you're not dropping clues, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. 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 And you say you write mostly every day, but not. But you give yourself a uh, a Sabbath day. I do. As I mentioned, I've been a Quaker for a long time, mm-hmm. and we are an unprogrammed meeting, Amesbury Friends, which does mean we sit in silence and wait for spirit to share a message, mm-hmm. which sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, and sometimes the whole hour is silent for all of us. And if I have been working on my book Sunday morning, 
I'm not sitting there in worshipful waiting. I'm thinking about my plot. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of counterproductive. I might write a blog post or something, you know, kind of mechanical in the morning if I feel like it. But I also read the paper and have coffee and breakfast and stuff. So I, I think it's good to take a break once in a while. No, I get that. I mean, my character in the uh, Gwendolyn Strong uh, Small Town Cozy Mystery Series, which I'm writing and it's going to come out in the fall, she has a, a morning meditation and yoga practice. And a lot of time, her brain is just going in overdrive when she's supposed to be breathing in and breathing out and letting things settle. She's in overtime because of what happened the day before or something that has stumped her and that she, and it just crashes into her consciousness. So I, I get I get what you're talking about. That, of course, is when you most need meditation. Absolutely. Is when you're when you've got busy brain, busy brain, busy brain. Yeah. I also try to meditate with a, a group in the morning, seven o'clock, seven thirty. And we do it by Zoom. So you have uh, anywhere between 15 to 20 people staring at each other in utter silence. <laughs> but it works. And, you know, and then at the end, we, we say goodbye and we come back at it again the next morning. And, yeah, and there's some mornings when my brain is in overdrive, too, because of something that has happened in my work or whatever the day before. And, unfortunately, I also sit at my workstation during my meditation, which you want to talk about distractions galore. <laughs> yes. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, we've been doing Quaker meeting on Zoom for, you know, a year and a half. Last summer, we opened the meeting house back up and we were only in person. And then when, I think it basically went Omicron, it was in the fall, last fall, we figured out a way to do hybrid meeting in the meeting house and on Zoom. Okay. I went back in person uh, last Sunday, and I realized how deeply unsatisfying the Zoom meetings were. Mm. Um, it was better than nothing. It was better than nothing. Right. And when there's a snowstorm or if you're sick, like people can, that's a good way to have it. And we're still going masked. I think I'm going to uh, forget about the Zoom unless I have to. No, I get it. What's the title of your first book and, and when's it coming out? And will you be a guest on the Wicked Office? Oh, I'd love to. So the small town, Gwendolyn Strong, small town cozy mystery series is a four book series that I'm planning to release three books at the same time with a fourth book on pre-release. So it's a, oh. uh, I'm, I'm an indie author okay. and I'm planning, I'll start the planning process at the end of this month, actually, for a Labor Day release of the first three books. So there's a rapid release factor there. And then from the fourth, from all of the books, the reader can get a, uh, an opportunity to get the uh, pre-release order of the fourth book. And the titles are Milford Elementary, Milford Coal and Ice, Milford Daffy Day, such for like a daffodil festival, and Milford Bed and Breakfast. And the protagonist is Gwendolyn Strong, as I mentioned. And she, at the beginning of the series, is uh, accepts a voluntary layoff after having been one of two Milford kindergarten teachers for 35 years. Mm. And uh, she takes a voluntary layoff to allow a younger and pregnant kindergarten teacher to basically 
carry the torch going forward. If you only have one kindergarten class instead of two, because of downsizing, better to let the the new one, you know, keep going. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my girl, I call her my girl, Gwendolyn, is um, 57 years old, biracial, in a small, what pretty much be a lily white town. Um, Milford is a any town USA. I know there's a Milford, Mass. I know there's a Milford, Connecticut, because I live in, in it. And there's other Milfords, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware. Every, I think every town has a, every state has a Milford in it. And many of them are small. So it works, you know, for that small town type of feel. But her superpower as a uh, kindergarten teacher is that she's very much in the moment because she's dealing with four and five-year-olds, five and five and six-year-olds. And her dealing with them is very much in the present moment. And also there's no guile with a five or six-year-old or they haven't learned to be, to mask their feelings. So, and she knows three quarters of the town, right? So yeah, uh, she's uh, allowing a a younger kindergarten teacher to to take the kindergarten classes because now they're shrunk down to just one instead of two in that small town. And her superpower is that, you know, she's been a kindergarten teacher for 35 years. She knows three quarters of the town. They all went through her kindergarten and they all know her. And she knew them before they had any guile, before they could, you know, learn how to lie. So it's very hard to lie to Mrs. Strong, you know, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, that's her superpower in that town. And I'm just excited about writing her. I'm writing her closer to the type of golden age mysteries uh, that we know from Dorothy Sayer and Agatha Christie. It's more focused on the plot and the clues and that type of thing. A nice example would be Knives Out, as you're familiar with that movie. Oh, yeah. And and no foul language, you know, no overt, in-your-face violence. We don't even use bad language in this little town of Milford, you know. So that's who she is. And I'm writing her in the first person present. Mm. And I find that to be so refreshing from what I had written my six book series with the FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea series. Uh, I wrote her third person close. Mm. So I could have different chapters with different points of view, but in the Gwendolyn Strong books, everything is through her eyes, first person present, which I got to tell you after writing, you know, over uh, half a million words in third person close. Sometimes I slip back into that again. And my, uh, my editor has to remind me, oh no, we're first person present here. <laughs> so yep, yep. yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about writing her. I'm excited about it. Like I said uh, to you earlier in, in one of the earlier parts of the, the podcast is that yesterday was a writing day for me and I was out of bed at uh, 538 in the morning, you know, and uh I worked on my outline all day yesterday, and I was able to complete my outline for Milford Daffy Day. It's loosely based on a Milford that near where I live. So I will visit that Milford around the time that the daffodils are out just to get a flavor for the town yeah. and yeah. just to get a sense of you know what the vibe is. Because I'm a big fan of uh, visiting locales where I do my research because it's not only just what you get on a Google map search, but it's also... A sense of the people, you know, how things are going that day, smells, senses, you know, anyway. I spend a week in the off season 
usually May and September, October in West Falmouth on Cape Cod. Mm, um, okay. I, I rent a little Quaker retreat cottage that I have the whole thing to myself and there's no Wi-Fi and it's absolutely amazing for productivity. And I'm just a writing a monster. Wow. But yeah, I can. But you have electricity, right? You have electricity. Oh, I have electricity. (laughs) I've got a kitchen. I've got the whole house. I can walk to the beach in it in 20 minutes, you know? Okay. And I can see what's blooming and what's, you know, decaying. And I can see when the ospreys come back. And Mm -hmm. that's really great for atmosphere. I don't get to Indiana as often. But as I said, I used to live there. um, Mm -hmm. And I've been back a few times to do research trips. And my older sister lives north of Indianapolis. So Okay. She fills me in on tips about dialect and habits and things. Yeah, yeah but I, I don't think South Lake changes all that much. <laughs> I don't think it does either. Okay. Not so far. No. Well, it's been a wonderful having you on uh, the show today. I know we had some technical glitches. I hope that uh, my lovely editor, Chris Duckett, will be able to make it sound seamless and we'll be able to pot- patch this all together. But I do appreciate you uh, staying with me on this through the day. And um, I look forward to seeing you probably first in Minneapolis and then out at Crime Bay later on in the year. Yeah. Back in Dedham. Thank you so much for inviting me on, John. It's been a real pleasure. I hope that listeners will find my website. And- oh, yes. I forgot to ask with all these confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please tell I me. I think you mentioned it, edithmaxwell.com, okay. which has Maddie Day and all my writing, all my short stories. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter right on the front page. And I'm at my Facebook page is Maddie Day slash Edith Maxwell. And okay. I'd love for you to come hang out there. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And I love hearing from readers. So even find my email at contact on my website and shoot me an email, especially if you find a typo in my book. My editor is happy to fix them. Well, that's great to hear. No it matter is. how many dozens pairs of eyes have been on those books, they always slip through with a typo. Oh, yeah, and that unfortunately, I had to have a, a couple one star and two star reviews on Amazon. I learned that the hard way because of yeah. typos. Believe it or not, not the story, not the characters, not no. the writing, but no. you know, proofreading. That happens. Yeah. Well, thank you, and I'll contact you about a date to be on the Wickets. I'm the I'm the Wrangler for August. We could get you on right at the end of the month, right before Labor Day. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Well, then uh, we'll just uh, we'll touch base again in June when this airs and then uh, somewhere I'll put this on the calendar to give you a call again. And yeah, definitely would like to pump up Gwen Strong a little bit. I'm excited about her, just feeling real good about it and loving it. Love writing it. I love writing the series and enjoy the heck out of it. So, all right. forward to reading it. All right. Thanks, Edith. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments you have on the website, www.johnhuda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Joanna Schaffhausen. She wields a mean scalpel, skills she developed in her years studying neuroscience. She has a doctorate in psychology, which reflects her longstanding interest in the brain, how it develops, and the many ways it can go wrong. Previously, she worked as the scientific editor in the field of drug development. Prior to that, she was an editorial producer for ABC News, writing for programs such as World News Tonight, Good Morning America, and 2020. 
She lives in the Boston area with her husband, daughter, and an obstreperous basset hound named Winston. She is the winner of the 2016 Mystery Writers of America St. Martin's Minotaur First Crime Novel Award. This is going to be a fun interview next week. I'm looking forward to it. This episode was brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. And join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free.